0: Welcome, Kanye Rankin, who's a climber and a broadcaster. You might have seen him on the, the recent BBC Alapa show, Dana, Scotland's Wildside. Uh, welcome, welcome to the Mountains Men, Minds podcast. Thanks you, it was Ross. Good to speak to you. Good to be here. So for, for people that maybe don't know a bit about your background as a, a broadcaster and a climber, just kind of give us a bit of your, your background.
1: I'm uh, from the West Coast of Scotland, from Loch Alsh near Skye. And I'm a native Gaelic speaker. So the program is on Seattle, but it's almost entirely in Gaelic. Uh, and I also, I mean, I grew up in a very rural area uh, beside the sea in, in Lochalsh, and I think it's always just kind of been the default, spend a lot of time outside. And yeah, I love, I love being out in in the hills like exploring like bits of scotland that i don't know about and, and then especially places i think that have a a, a relation to like gaelic heritage i, I really enjoy that and um it's certainly drawn to places like sutherland and, and lewis eh, to name a couple sky where, where they are kind of like gaelic places um, in a sense and yeah do a fair bit of running and rock climbing and up the hills and a bit of water sports now and again
0: um all sorts, but yeah, that's that's me. And tell me a bit about Dana, Scotland's Wildside, it's obviously now in its second series on BBC Alipa. and um, for people who maybe haven't had the chance to watch it, obviously we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about the recent episode where you, you go to the sky up in the Cullen Ridge, but for for people who maybe haven't had the chance to watch it yet, um, what have you enjoyed most about, about Scotland's Wildside with, with Dana?
1: It's a programme, so yeah, it's the second series, uh, which, is, which is amazing to say, like, Uh, because about, yeah, a couple of years ago it wasn't even commissioned, the first series. Um, It is basically a a series of adventures in Scotland um, by me, sometimes with a pal, especially for climbing. Um, And I think it's uh, something that's maybe not completely apparent to, to the viewer, but like myself and the director, Hamish MacLeod, an immensely talented uh, physiographer and director. He's like one of my oldest friends who's also from from Sky and uh, it's very much like a joint project between the two of us so we have been going out and yeah, choosing places in Scotland that we want to explore and, and things that we think would be uh, interesting to people, places that we think would be interesting, inspiring to people because there's so many in Scotland and it's like there's so much variation in Scotland, there's so many different ways to interact with the landscape, um, we've not had, we've not been short of ideas, certainly, and uh, in this second series, yeah, we went to the Kulin and also Mingulay, which was uh, a, a, like, completely life-affirming trip, and then Arran, and finished off in uh, Rona, north of Razzie, which was maybe a little bit uh, left field, but so we went new routing there, um,
0: which was, uh, yeah, again, just class. And the episode that I was I was watching recently was was when you went to the Sky as I, I mentioned there, and you with your climbing partner. I think you, you, the original plan is to do a, an attempt on the the fuel cooling ridge in the winter conditions, but <laughs> Sky can obviously kind of scrap <laughs> like a few that. plans that you have for for things like that. I know that myself, but um, the footage of you you guys going up onto you, you do screwline from the western ridge, and then you head back and do Ambassier. On the onto the basture Tooth and then you come down from there and kind of come back what was that experience like of traversing those epic mountains in, in winter conditions?
1: Yeah I mean it was it was pretty great to be honest um it was it was cool like my my partner for that um Matt Glenn he's uh, from Northern Ireland and he had never really that was we did a summer traverse a few a couple of years ago but hadn't really spent any time in the cooling in the winter so it was cool just to, to bring him up to see that but I for me certainly like the cooling is my it's the, like my local hills like I grew up like looking across you can see it from the house and like it was be the second Monroe I ever did like my dad took me up obviously in the summer um but when it's there and like at the start of the day, like the conditions just, we didn't really win the conditions lottery. Uh, as you said, the sky is incredibly fickle being so close to the sea. So to get everything to line up for a, for a perfect like bluebird traverse is, you know, you're asking for a lot. But we made the best, I think, of what, what we had on that day. And, and just, I mean, Skulling is such an iconic peak. Uh, it's just, as as a mountain, like with the, the, the three big ridges like streaming down off it, and it's just, yeah incredibly like just the shape of it it's, it's just an inspiring sight anyway and aha, uh, oh, you know the crack you don't really see that again on camera but the crack as we went along with the,
0: the crew is just uh, amazing as always as well and yeah what's, what's it like obviously you're out there with a, not just yourself and your climate partner but as you said they're a crew of people as well out on pretty harsh conditions on on the coolant doing something pretty technically difficult what is that like to, to go out there and try and film with a crew like that,
1: um, it has its challenges. It's obviously, uh, moving. There's six of us on on that shoot. Um, moving that group of people around the hills. Like obviously, if you're moving in the mountains, especially in the winter. Especially something like the Kulin Traverse, you want to be quick. You want it's like fast and light, and trying to be nimble. Uh, six people are less nimble. With the six people with cameras hanging off them are less nimble than than two. But um, we've got an amazing team. Like we've got a really close te- knit team actually. So it's myself and Hamish who've been friends since we were like eight. Um and then uh, our, our drone pilot, second cameraman, is a former winter mountain guide. Uh, so that's handy. Uh, he can move pretty well. And then we have two safety guys for that trip, um John Sanders and Rich Parker, who are uh, incredibly capable professionals, but also just like they really get the really get the the project. And, and just like the, you know, as, as, as the kids say these days, like the vibes were, are just like very, very good. Uh, so it, it works, it's very easy. It's they're very easy people to work with. Um, and that makes the whole thing just much more fun. I think that affects the, the output. You know, I think I certainly feel like we're presenting much more relaxed um, but just you know you just like got an extra like ten percent happiness in the tank when you're hanging out with your pals in the hills. So I, think, I hope that I think I get the feeling that that kind of comes across. Um, yeah, it, it's, 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 a, it's fun and it's great. Like we learn so much. I certainly definitely learn so much being around all these people. Um,
0: and so much experience. It's, yeah, real a real privilege. You described it in the, in the in the the video as being you were captivated by the difference um, of winter climbing in the cooling and the cooling as opposed to the summer. What what are the the main differences between summer climbing and winter climbing in the in the cooling or any mountain in Scotland? Oh, there's, there's so much more to think about in the winter. The, the environment it just has this well not
1: just one like several additional layers of complexity with snow and what the snow is doing um, under foot. Like those days, it was actually. Uh, that day they were in the snow it was it was very powdery um it looks amazing but it's it's slow to move on and feels can feel pretty uh feel pretty wobbly in the crampons when it's like you know two inches of snow and then rock you can't really see where where the points are going um and there was a little bit of uh, there had been a little bit of avalanche that didn't feature in the program avalanche activity uh that you always have to be mindful of in uh even in scotland um and it just that you know in the winter it's the cold, there just have to be so much better at looking after yourself. Um, the, the, like, just that you keep, you don't take your gloves off or, you know, and you, you have the right layers on and you don't stop unnecessarily. You need to eliminate as all the faff, as much faff as possible, which I, I find extremely difficult because I love faffing. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and, and then, you know, the, the navigation in the cooling. It's a little bit different to a lot of places in Scotland because you can't really trust your compass. There's a big, um, there's big magnetic interference from the, uh, the the gabbro on on a compass, so you're not really taking bearings and and using the map and compass in the same way. Um, but it's still like navigationally challenging, and the consequences of like navigational mistakes are tend to be much higher in the winter. So yeah, you need to you need to be on it and, and concentrate. But that's fun as well if you if you kind of got the skills that level of concentration like it, it just makes it's, it's like flow isn't it you know that's what i think a lot of people are chasing the mountains like for some people just having to like pay much more attention to crampons on rock eh, or or you know the, the added complexities that's kind of satisfying to do that right
0: and all those challenges that you're you're talking about there with regards to, to winter climbing and a quote from that episode you said that i like to get out of my comfort zone and push myself to the limit and feel scared is that do you ever feel scared out on the on the cooling when you're climbing in the winter and and what do you enjoy most about pushing yourself outside your your comfort zone yeah
1: i think like the times that you well i can only speak for myself obviously um times that i have pushed myself out of my comfort zone and in various ways like in terms of like yeah being scared. in various situations because I think there's different flavors of fears in there um I feel like I learn a lot about like my own mind and the way that the way that I I I kind of work um which is always really interesting it's just interesting um I'm fairly interested in in like a lot of like uh, Buddhism meditation stuff just in terms of like the sort of thoughts about the mind how the mind works and how you you can go about looking at how your head works. Um and and so yeah, some of the stuff just about like learning to to be afraid or or scared and like feel fear but not let it completely overcome you. So trying to think of an example. Um there was even times like there was one sort of technical pitch that we did in that day and yeah it's just a little bit of that sort of niggling fear and it's like, oh I'm quite a bit above the gear here. Like if I fell, it's not going to be fun, but it is safe, you know that it's safe, you know objectively, but you're still feeling fear. And like to observe the fear and then, um, to, to observe the fear and then kind of just see that it's, it's a part of the experience that you're having, but it doesn't need to be the defining one. I think that's interesting. And that has applications in, in life. Um, not to say that I'm like particularly good at like then applying that and just like not let like, fear affect me ever but it's, it's interesting um, and then coming to the other side like being uh, be- <laughs> being really afraid on a climb and then even if it's safe like I've had, there's countless signs of that when you like you're technically safely all the gears in place the gear is good you just are afraid and you don't want to fall and then you get through at the top and that like like it's like euphoria that release is uh is cool it's very fleeting but that that's like a, it is a nice feeling um to uh and then there's like the comfort zone with you know if you're talking about getting out of your comfort zone just like trying big things that not necessarily, aren't necessarily scary but if you're even just like i mean thinking of other days you've had in the coolant where you really go out and try and give yourself a bee sting and try and do like half the or whatever and um just like digging deep and, and like finding the rhythm where you can just keep going, keep going, keep going, is immensely satisfying too and, and I think that for me personally that takes, I find that's like quite an easy way to get into a very clear frame of mind, um, which is nice as well, <laughs> yeah and I find it's like very good for my mental health in general, it's like
0: quite a good uh, tonic to a lot of like the stresses of life. Yeah, just on that, I guess, with the mental health benefits of hill walking, not just for people with ill mental health, for example, but like poor mental health, if somebody's feeling a bit stressed, they're just kind of wanting to kind of calm a little bit, do you think hill walking, climbing mountains is something that can benefit that?
1: So, definitely. Definitely. I think if it's something that people are interested in, um, uh, yeah, for various reasons, I think, like I mean, exercise is like very basic stuff, isn't it? But and Exercise is good for our body is good for our brains, um, and I think like again speaking personally, I think like hill walking, like it's quite even versus like running. Sometimes, like walking like a big day of like even like a big big bag like eight nine hours of just like walking around some, some rows.
0: Sometimes that's like
1: the best i think that's like the best i feel like i feel the best afterwards i feel it has the most like a lasting impact like on just like how i feel and my like, mood and and like sort of like getting working stuff out in my head um I think just like the the length of time that you're kind of forced to sit with your own thoughts um for me I, it's not always comfortable I, and i think like so I was talking to someone about this the other day. Like I, I think there's a, quite often a temptation I find like to distract myself from my thoughts if they're not nice, like particularly nice ones. So the way I tend to do that is like fire podcast past fire podcasts on or music. And that's like a bit of a distraction. But if I go out in the hills for nine hours and listen to music for most of the time, I don't feel as good at the end as if I go out and just done with my thoughts. Which I'm not particularly qualified to analyze that in any depth. But I think just like sitting with the stuff for me and like with also the just like there's the exercise element there is uh is good, but it's not always comfortable. And on top of that, like just being outside in in places that aren't I'm mean, weary of the word natural, it's a bit loaded, isn't it? Or wild, that kind of thing. Um for what they actually mean. But places that aren't urban. <laughs> Um, I think, I'm a big believer that, like, urban environments being the default for people, for humans, as animals, is not, is is like an active bad for for our heads. I don't think that's particularly controversial opinion, Um, and getting out and spending time in places that are, yeah rural I, like mountainous environments which is like a re- very, very natural and stuff. that's an all right word isn't it um obviously these landscapes are very affected by humans but when you're surrounded by plants and rocks and not skyscrapers and, and motorways i think there's a, yeah there's a lot of benefits to be had for that and, and like hill walking it takes a, it takes a long time it takes a whole day um and i think you know in terms of like time spent outside it's there's a lot to be said for that versus like going for a run for an hour in the park or whatever um for me i think like some people if you hate hill walking if you hate walking it's probably not a great idea as well uh, i don't think it's like and it's not like a it's going to be not going to be like a silver bullet for everybody um because i definitely know people who like hate the idea of walking up a hill um and i wouldn't want to force that or tell them that that's
0: like the one thing that they should do but you know but I think with hill walking I think as opposed to when talking about if you're kind of contrasting comparing walking if you like flat walking with going up a hill I think there's so many aspects to hill walking for example it's a pretty simple objective you're saying I want to get to the top of that hill or that mountain and then and it's, you come back down again so it's a kind of clear objective not sorry, I'm, going to, I'm going to walk for five or ten minutes or whatever it's like I'm going to I'm going to get to the top of that mountain and when you get there there's that payoff as well you're getting a in most cases a beautiful view on, on a landscape that you wouldn't have got from the ground which is, which is great and obviously there's that talking about it with obviously endorphins that releases as well from Hillwalk but Hill walk I just love that objective going up you're, you're doing a little bit of a different kind of fitness as well going uphill but yeah. it's like the does that pay off at the top as well in most cases
1: yeah totally yeah it's a very it's a very like it's a sim- simple like easily defined objective um, and yeah it's cool like people I've got a bit of the, of this, in maybe like the sort of ticking off thing is very satisfying. And, and there's like, you know, when bagging is the obvious, the obvious example of like, it's nice to like gradually see like the map on Monroe map or whatever go green, and as opposed to red, and like that sense of achievement is quite tangible there. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, it's saying, i don't endorphins. It's just like our bodies.
0: This is good. <laughs> yeah, totally. Just on the continuation, talking about mountains in Scotland in the in the program, you say it's no exaggeration to say that the Coillin Ridge is no exaggeration to say that the Coillin Ridge and Islay Sky is in a different league from any other mountain in the UK. So, for anybody that hasn't had the chance either to go to Sky or go up and experience the Coillin Ridge, but maybe try other mountains or hills in Scotland or the UK or other parts of the world, how does the Coillin stand out in the way you've described? It? Um,
1: I mean, I'm slightly, I am slightly biased. I'll admit that because it's like it's the hills you can see from the house, but but uh, yeah, they're they're not particularly high. Like even like Skiralis, there's only quite like nine hundred and eighty something. i should know that? Nine hundred eighty three, I want to say uh, meters, but um, they they're just like in the rock for one. made made of like volcanic rock, which is gabbro and, and basalt for the most part. And that doesn't really give much um, accommodation to like vegetation growing on it, so they're very rocky, um, all, like across across the whole of this range. And you've got this beautiful—it's well, it's a whole—it's a circle actually. It's been kind of eroded by glaciation, but the cone of this old volcano, and on the west side of the cone, there's this like twelve-kilometer ridge which. There's nothing else in, in the UK that's like as continuously technical um, in terms of scrambling or walking. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so, it's, it's an amazing environment because it rises straight up out of the sea. You start in Glenbrittle, you know, you're on the beach and then like there's the top of the mountain when you walk up and then, especially in winter, you know, you can go from just like center of the beach to you know, this completely alpine environment. I think that's the key word. It's like, it's an alpine environment in a way that nothing else is in the UK. There's, you know, over in Torridon or or in Glencoe, there's very cool mountains that do provide a bit of that, but in Skye, you've just got it and it's concentrated and there's more of it in a a, a small concentrated space um, than anywhere else. And the rock type, it's just a joy. Like in summer, you know yourself, it's just the gabbro. You put your foot on on a slab of gabbro, it's not going anywhere, which just makes it amazing for climbing and... uh,
0: yeah, it's. I hope I've sold it enough up there. <laughs> uh, I guess on on the mainland as well. Obviously, you say you're from Lochalsh. Is there any other? Is there any other mountains that stand out? Obviously, you're talking about Sgùrr na on Sky. Is uh, there's no more beautiful mountain in Scotland. But on the on the mainland, is there is there a mountain that sticks out for you? Don't
1: know. There are a lot. I there's a there's a whole bunch. I think there's one like these hills in Assin. You know, a lot of these ones that aren't Monroe's like Sullivan and, uh like, like, Canisp. Staff Poly, like, I've had more fun on Staff Poly, which is tiny, than loads of Monroes. It's just, like, so much character. I, there's a lot of rock, a lot of stuff to scramble about on and kind of be a bit creative with the line you choose. That's brilliant. But Ben in and Torridon, just a total joy. Like such a like satisfying like circuit, um, yeah. I just, like ran that one evening this this summer and just ah, it's
0: yeah, it, it's just it's great, really satisfying trips like that. And uh, actually I'm Alligan you've got that. I guess that well, I'm thinking picturesque, probably the most picturesque I can think of in terms of mountains in Scotland, apart from maybe on, on and Chalic But when you get to the top of, obviously, it's a town, Grigy, you go over to town of Grugie and you go up to Sker Moore, the second one on Benallan. And you have that view looking down over the Horns of Allegan across to I think it's Ben Jerig and yeah yeah and and all that it's just such an amazing place to 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 go hiking or to go running
1: yeah yeah it is it's just like it's like there's just so much like like visual stimulation you know you're like there's so many things to look at and uh, and then like the actual like the rock is really nice to move on and um, you've got nice ridges, where you can kind of scatter along and feel like you're in, in the clouds. Um, but then sometimes, you know, I've had cool days like I like lived in Glenmore for a while. You know, I've been going, like going in the Cairngorms in the winter, like being up on the plateau and like it that feels like you're on the moon in the winter. Just like it's a different, totally different experience, but there's a lot, a lot to be said for that as well. That's like a cool. It's another. It's a really different environment but it's still in Scotland, it's like, you know, it's not like 100 miles away, <laughs> but it's completely different. Um, yeah, that's, that's what's so cool about Scotland, it's just like how how con- there's so much concentrated in such a small space, so much variation in, in landscape, and uh, yeah, it's kind of hard, like I, I'm really, people always ask, oh, would you like to go to like, would you like to travel abroad and like go to the Alps and stuff, and it's just like, you need to plan a lot to go to the alps but there's so many new like trips to go and do in scotland uh, like it's e- like, easy like a marathon like just logistically um i don't know that's i didn't give you one minute there's so, <laughs> okay. so I, much to choose
0: from in scotland there's so much to yeah. choose from so um something that struck me and i was speaking to you a little bit about before we started and um, recording this about watching the the, the program dana scotland's Wildside, side and hearing you talk about the mountains, but obviously it's some on was in Gaelic and how much I enjoy hearing the Gaelic language. And what are your thoughts on the, the future of the language and the importance the importance of of, of Gallic in, in Scottish life?
1: Good question. <laughs> um I mean I I'm a well, I, I grew up speaking Gaelic. Uh there's Gaelic in my family, going back a couple of generations. Um I I'm like a young person in Scotland, and I use Gaelic every day. I, I use Gaelic as much as I use English, um, and that's not particularly typical for a lot of Gaelic speakers. But all all my work that I do is, is in Gaelic, so I think that it, it's like it's it's a part of like Scott. It's a part of the, the makeup of Scotland, isn't it? Like Gaelic, and it's in it's in decline there's no uh, there, well there, there is maybe a bit of denying that that goes on but like the the, the bottom line is like it's a, it's a minority language and like almost all minority languages around the world it's it's nosediving in the into the ground in the face of like globalization and like domination of english um or, or you know the way that some countries it's like in brazil it's portuguese uh, like or, or spanish and um, in, in other places um And that's like a fact. You have to you have to look that in the face, and think. Well, if that's true, like, why why is it worth trying to save? Because you know it's. I'm not. I don't. I'm not a pessimist. I I think at all, but I think it's like it's worth realizing that, you know, in a hundred years, if there's like five, six thousand languages in the world right now that are spoken, there's going to be like half of that, maybe, probably less, are going to disappear. And the amount that's lost in terms of cultural knowledge, every time, you know, there's that like, famous quote that every time a language is lost, it's like dropping a bomb in the Louvre. Probably, I'd say, I'd argue there's more lost culturally. Um, and the losses to people. You know, it's quite easy to think like, oh, we need to save Gaelic. Gaelic doesn't care. That's been maybe to be a bit overly frank about it, but like, or simplistic, like the language doesn't care if it ceases to be spoken you know i think that's like there's a temptation to be a bit romantic about it and like or like whatever it is the, the loss is for people and you see the loss and you see the loss in the islands like you see the loss in the hebrides that that happens when people lose this language which is this has been at the center of the culture of this place for a millennium more in some places um uh, and the loss of people's, like, that that language, language is at the centre of culture. And you lose the medium in which you can, like, connect to your heritage in terms of the, the land and, uh, like, the, the memory, the cultural memory of the community. And that has, like, a tangible effect on people's people's mental health and, like, the richest people's lives. And I, like, I am a firm believer in, and I, I work for a company that uh, a lot of the time that, Uh, it's like a Gaelic development company where it's young people doing outdoor activities in Gaelic and that's like one small part of helping people like speak Gaelic, giving people opportunity to speak Gaelic and thereby have confidence in Gaelic as young people in in their ability to speak. Um, I'm a firm believer in like the benefits of having like bilingualism multilingualism which is not very normal in the uk but in the global context is the norm is to have multiple languages like the benefits of that um and also just like the 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 benefits in terms of like connection connection to community like the people around you like in the hebrides where there's still you know a lot of gaelic in the community but it tends to be like in with older people um younger generations are not for, for a multitude of reasons um, not least the fact that we were denied or not just denied education but like told not to speak the language um, that hasn't there's trauma in that there's like great intergenerational trauma uh caused by like the active suppre- suppression of language um but you see you know young people in in these communities where Gaelic is like Gaelic gives them a way to be connected to the people around them um and that's like a fun that's a fundamental good being connected to people and to place and I think that Gaelic is worth is worth trying to save save I, I, the work the words are a little bit I feel it feels almost a little bit like naive to say save but to preserve like Gaelic for the generations that are here it's worth like giving people Gaelic new education because that gives them those people who are alive just now great benefits uh that was a bit of a ramble, but I hope there's something <laughs> uh, uh, you, me, you sent me. off on one there, actually. Uh, it's
0: just, it's just, it's always, it's something that comes up a lot. Um, I've got an interest in politics, and it comes up quite a lot in, in politics and different people's views in, in Scotland around around the language, and um, it's, just, it's just so fascinating to think how big a part is played and it plays in our, in Scottish culture and Scottish history, like uh, I come from Fife and. Um I and I was, I'm well into hill walking and with the Fife Hills, I got in touch with um the Gallic and Fife and I was saying I have saying to them, Oh, it'd be great if maybe you could run some sort of competition for like school kids to come up with maybe uh, Gallic names for the Fife Hills. And they got back in touch and said, Well, actually, you might not realize this, but the Fife Hills all derive from a Gallic name, a yeah. Gallic meaning. And actually, I think it's up to I need to get a stat right, but I'm sure it's around 80% of place names in in Fife derive from Gaelic because at one point in in history everybody everybody lived in Fife spoke Gaelic they didn't speak English uh, yeah. so it just this, but it was fascinating for me to learn that but it was, it was quite cool because I realized there was that link to, to the language but that, that'll obviously be the case across huge parts of Scotland as well
1: yeah absolutely so it's it belongs like in certain sense at least to to the entirety of the to the of, the, of to the entirety of Scotland you know you go down to like the border with England and there's Gaelic place names there's a couple on the other side of the border as well uh, which is quite entertaining um yeah it is like it is everywhere it's really interesting about seeing like that you are saying in Fife that the place names either they get like you know there's not been much Gaelic spoken at a community level in Fife for hundreds of years at least so the names are all a bit corrupted and that's interesting like as a Gaelic speaker looking at it I remember I wonder what that did mean um or like around in Glasgow, like Ibrox, it comes from Gaelic Avrech, uh, Govan, Balloch. Oh, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's endlessly
0: interesting. Yeah, just with I guess with the five hills, there was just a few that looked at. It was like there's like Benarty Hill, which comes from like Ben Art, which means is it the high hill, I think, from Gaelic. Yeah, Art, yeah. And Knock like, like, yeah. Hill as well. I think it kind of comes from is it Gaelic for Knock, because I used to say, it, which means yeah. hill. Knock, knock would be hills. It's like hill, hill. Hill, hill. Yeah, things like that. So it was just it was fascinating to learn that about, about Fife. Um, mm-hmm. But um, last question. It's been really interesting, fascinating interview with you, Rob. A really interesting guy. So um, thanks for your time. But one final question would just be for anybody that's, who's maybe never got into hill walking before or started to maybe explore Scotland and the, and the great outdoors in, in Scotland, but is interested to, 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 to maybe try it. What would you say to them?
1: Go for it, I guess. Yeah, like, I think um that that it's just gonna it's gonna be loads of fun if you go in and and, uh, and in, interesting if you go and spend time outside in Scotland and there's so much to see um and there are a myriad of benefits uh, in doing that and I think like as well not to be too intimidated by uh, people like outdoorsy people i guess because i think that can be you know online um especially if you're looking online and like like forums and things like you can kind of feel like oh i don't have i don't have the knowledge to go and do this and certainly for, for i guess from a safety point of view there's certain things like if you're going to go and like do monroes in winter there's a lot of, you that you build up to that but there's plenty you can do you can step out the door having I mean, never like gone uphill before you know there's so much to do and I think it's just like if it's not if you don't feel like it's like instantly accessible to do things by yourself like there are clubs and things and um, like hill walking clubs in loads of places like I didn't even realize that. I remember I moved to Glasgow and then like uh, people saying oh there's like a hill walking club here and there's like the there's this club goes to the climbing wall and yeah there's loads of people ask people questions as well just like it's great like never be afraid to ask questions that's a good thing for
0: life anyway um just like things you can learn Perfect, and I suppose this last one is uh, for anybody that wants to watch Dana, Scotland's Wildside to see you uh, up the Cooling and other parts of Scotland, how can they do that?
1: Uh, it is on the iPlayer BBC iPlayer, uh, and I'm sure it'll be repeated on BBC Alpha in a couple of months I think, probably in the new year maybe in January, we'll see Down there, but it's on the iPlayer <laughs> Perfect, cool, great, thanks for your time Cheers Cheers Russ.